Psalm 84 starts by saying, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. Where is the dwelling place of God? Where does God live? What's his address? Might seem like a strange question, but it's an important one as we come to looking at this psalm today. Now, please excuse me as I speak in a foreign language, but I will interpret. Okay, the language that I'm speaking in, some of you are fluent in, some of you might have heard a few words in. It's called Christianese. Okay, And what I'm going to say is that God is omnipresent, but there's a difference between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. I'm not speaking in tongues. Okay, I'm just speaking a bit of Christianese and I will interpret what I mean. Omnipresence basically is the idea that God is everywhere. Yeah, you can go up to space, you can go down to the bottom of an ocean trench, God is there. He made the world and therefore if he's that all powerful and sovereign, he must be everywhere. Which is true biblically. The second is the idea of this manifest presence of God. What does manifest mean? It means something that is clear, something that is obvious, something that is palpable, something that is just undisguised and undeniable. So when we talk about the manifest presence of God, we're saying the presence of God, which is undeniable, completely clear. So there's a sense in which God makes his presence known in a specific, clear way. Now, this is a biblical idea, and it's something that the Psalms picks up on rather a few times, and most notably in this Psalm today that we're looking at. And I guess one of the sort of problems that people could have with this idea is, well, if God is omnipresent and he can be manifest, why isn't he just manifest everywhere? Why doesn't God just make his presence known everywhere so that everyone will see him, everyone will believe in him and no one will be able to deny he's there? Well, that's a fair question. And actually, that question will be answered at the end of time when God will make his presence manifest everywhere. The Bible talks about this and uh, looks forward to that day when Jesus who is in heaven now will return and make God's presence known. And it says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Look at this from Revelation 21. This is the last chapter in the Bible. In the book of Revelation, it's looking forward and seeing like a vision of what's in heaven and seeing what will happen in the future. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So one of the wonderful hopes of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible that looks forward to the future, is this hope that God will come down and make God's dwelling place among human beings. That there'll be no separation, if you like, between heaven and earth. And in the words of the prophet Belinda Carlisle, heaven will become a place on earth. That will be the truth of all time. The new heavens and the new earth will come together and be one. What will this be like? Well, Revelation 21 continues. It says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's pretty amazing. So, 
This is what happens in the manifest presence of God. This is what the manifest presence of God is like. When God draws near, when God makes his presence felt, mourning becomes dancing. Crying becomes joy. Pain becomes peace. Old becomes new and even death becomes life. That's the vision of Revelation. And that is because of the nature of who God is. That is why the manifest presence of God is so lovely. That's why the psalmist wants to go to the dwelling place of God, because it's lovely. And that's why their soul yearns and longs and cries out for the dwelling place of God, because the dwelling place of God, the place where God is made manifest on the earth, is the place where heaven has broken through and become a part of earth. Heaven and earth are overlaid and God's presence is powerfully known and felt. And that is wonderful because of who God is, because in God's presence, as it says in Psalm 1611, there is fullness of joy because of who God is. Some people think God is some sort of capricious chauvinist, some sort of evil or spiteful deity, maybe something a bit like a Roman or a Greek deity. But you look at the Bible, you look at the God that's revealed in the Bible, that's revealed through the story of the Bible, that's revealed in Jesus and you see a God that is a God of immense love, beauty, kindness, glory. All of his incredible characteristics come together in his glory. And when we come into that manifest presence of God, you see it throughout the Bible. Whenever someone encounters that, they bow, their shoes come off because there's an awesomeness about the presence of Almighty God. But it's a wonderful, beautiful awesomeness for those that know him and that love him and that are, are called his people. And this theme of God's presence and, and his dwelling place is a big theme throughout the Bible. Okay, In the early part of the Bible, uh, we see that God creates a dwelling place for himself with human beings on the earth. And then things go wrong and evil comes into the world. Death comes into the world. There's brokenness, there's, there's virulent viruses that spring up, there's plate tectonics that cause destruction, uh, there's evil in human hearts that results in more death and pain and frustration and enmity between people. And there's a rebellion in human hearts that wants to turn away from its creator and say, no, we're doing things our way. And that then sadly has set the tone for human society. We're made in the image of God, we have a, a heart connection to him, but that's fractured and broken by sin. And what we see is the world, it talks about how the devil is the one that rules in the kingdom of the air, the, the world. And yet we see throughout the story of the Bible, God is promising and then unveiling a plan to make his dwelling place with people again, to save people from the folly that they have fallen into and to save the whole of creation and to bring all things together again underneath one head and that is his son Jesus Christ and what we see in the Psalms remember that the Psalms is in the middle of the Bible it's it's in the middle of the story if you like and it's it's around the time of Israel being settled in the land and the kings and etc what we see in the Psalms is that some of these promises have been fulfilled in the establishment of the people in the land and of the temple in Jerusalem. So in Exodus 15, 
Uh, we see Moses prophesying and saying as, as just after the people of God have come out of Egypt, he says to them, you will, he says to, to addressing God in Exodus 15, you will bring them and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. And then we see that as the people come into the land, Jerusalem becomes the city that David makes his throne in. The people become established in the land. And then in 1 Kings 8, we see Solomon, David's son, creating this amazing temple for God, for the worship of God. And as he dedicates the temple, we see again the manifest presence of God coming to the temple such that the priests can't even fulfill their functions because, again, they're on their knees before the mighty presence of God. And so in the Psalms, Jerusalem is not just the capital city of the people of Israel. It's not just a, a physical place on earth. It's seen with spiritual significance. It's seen as God's holy hill, his throne, his house, the dwelling place of God on earth. And therefore, it's the place that worship is offered by the people, the community of Israel. And it's the place where the presence of God is manifest. And throughout the history of Israel, uh, because of the Torah um, and the, 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 the various festivals and laws and things that are prescribed within the Old Testament, first five books of the Bible for God's people to worship him. What we see is lots and lots of uh, festivals where people uh, leave their surrounding villages and towns and they walk to Jerusalem to worship. OK, and Psalm 84 is about this is about these experiences written for pilgrims who would have been traveling from far and wide to worship at the temple of God. And so the psalmist is singing about the experience of pilgrimage. They've set out on a journey, if you like. They've set out on a quest. And the quest is to find God's presence, to find the place, to go to the place where God dwells. And they express beautifully their longing for this place for this presence of God. Longing for the presence of God is a big feature in the Psalms. We see it in some of the Psalms of David, most notably probably Psalm 27. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Even David, the great king, had this heart to seek after God, to, to, to want to be in the presence of God. In Psalm 63, he writes, my soul longs for you like a desert, longs for rain. Now, let's just think about our situation for the moment and think about how our situation might be similar to the context of this psalm. And I think it is similar in two ways. One is that we are on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey. And over the past year, particularly, we have been on a journey, which seems funny to say when most of us have been stuck at home and not going anywhere. But we have been on a great journey and that journey has been a journey of faith. There's been times where we would have felt uh, full of faith, perhaps full of hope. Um, a great sense of comfort from God, a great sense of trust in God, a sense that God is in control over these great circumstances, which gives us comfort, a sense that God is working out his purposes. Maybe we would have felt times where we felt strong in faith. Maybe we would have also, though, felt times 
where our faith was not where we were at. We were more in a place of doubt. We're more in a place of uncertainty, more in a place of just living with difficult circumstances, living with hard emotions. So we've all been on a journey. The other thing we've all experienced is that we've known longing over this past year. We've all known longing for this experience to end of, of coronavirus and lockdowns. We've all known longing to see those that we love again, that we've been separated from. We've all known longing, for those of us as part of the Church Central West here, we've probably known some longing to be together again and have missed what it means to be church family, looking each other in the eyes, fellowshipping together, enjoying one another. I have certainly missed that and longed for that as well. And so this is relevant for us. And some of the experiences of the psalmist relate perhaps an echo with some of our current experiences. But there's lots we can learn from this. And I think the first thing I want us to think about is about this idea of longing for the presence of God. Are you really convinced about this idea of the manifest presence of God? Do you really believe that God can make his presence manifest in such a powerful way in your life, in your house, in your home? Do you, have you tasted of that? Have you experienced that in your life? Or are you content with just the idea that God is omnipresent? And I think we can learn from this about what it means to long for the presence of God. It's a good thing for believers to long for the presence of God and to want to seek him and set our hearts on pilgrimage. Sometimes we can settle, we can settle for our experience. Um, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we, we want to dwell in the tents of the wicked because we see it looks like some fun sometimes. Sometimes we can get stuck in the valley of weeping, but instead of turning it into a spring, we just start to drown in our own tears. Sometimes in the valley of weeping, we can lose our perspective on God. We can lose our faith and we can forget who God is. I don't know if you can relate to any of those experiences. My, my suspicion is that you probably can in one way or another. So how do we get back on track? How do we get ourselves back uh, in a good place with God? How do we um, cultivate that longing for the presence of God? And how do we live in the presence of God? Well, to understand this, we've got to understand this psalm from the New Testament perspective, because, of course, we are, are have this amazing position of being in this perspective. We, we can see what's happened throughout history we can see what God has done we have a bible that is finished now so we have a perspective on this the first thing from the new testament is that this idea of the presence of God this idea of the manifest presence of God being in the temple continues in the new testament but the temple is now no longer a place uh, in Israel it's no longer a place in Jerusalem as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, a time is coming when the people won't worship God on this mountain or in that temple, but they'll worship God in spirit and in truth wherever they are. And the New Testament teaches that the temple has now become our very bodies. The temple has now become the church, the body of people like living stones built together where God chooses to dwell manifestly. Just like he chose to dwell in that temple physically, he chooses to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 3.6, it says, we are God's house. Where does God live? 
Where's God's address? Wherever we are, as those who are his people, who have given our lives for him, as he has given his lives for us, they've received his gift of forgiveness, who've received his salvation and have become the people of God. We're also on a pilgrimage, but that pilgrimage looks a little bit different from a New Testament perspective. That is our Christian walk, our faith journey. And it's important to remember that it is a pilgrimage being a Christian. You don't get to some amazing status and then, you know, somehow you live a wonderful life and go off into the sunset. When you become a Christian, there is an amazing transformation. The heavens do rejoice when people turn to Jesus and put their faith in him. And we do get the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us to live. But the journey of life is a journey. You go to different destinations. You go up hills, you go down into valleys. Sometimes you have great views, sometimes you you lose your way. Sometimes you feel great about the journey, sometimes you feel rotten about the journey. That is the Christian life. Read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan and you'll you'll get that flavour very, very strongly. It's, it's, It's a great allegory of the Christian life. But the thing is, is that we know from where I started in the book of Revelation that our journey is going somewhere. We are going somewhere. Our Christian walk is not in vain. Our Christian walk is not pointless. It is going somewhere and it is going to that place, the future place, the future kingdom that Jesus will come back and institute when he returns. And so our relationship to the presence of God can be twofold on the one hand we know it and we experience it now through the holy spirit who's a deposit a down payment of what we're going to get in the future we're tasting of the age to come but also there's the not yet bit there's the there's the longing for home there's the longing for the future so there's loads of that we can get out of this psalm from us as we look at it from our new testament perspective being the other side of the cross and resurrection. But just really quickly, four things that the psalm shows about how to live like this, how to be the kind of people that that are pilgrims longing for the presence of God. The first thing is learn to dwell in God's house. Okay, we can cultivate that longing for the manifest presence of God in our life. And you can do that through praying, fasting, seeking God, reading God's word, from welcoming the Holy Spirit every morning. You can do it from just staying in the grace of God, from being quick to confess when you mess up, quick to come back to God, for not not excluding yourself or thinking, oh, I'm too far gone, I'm out of the picture now, surely God won't love me anymore, and going into a pity party. No, come back to the cross, confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He will forgive you and re-establish you. God is the God of salvation and he loves us every time, every time we mess up. So we can welcome the Holy Spirit's presence every morning and get to know him. We can do that. By doing that, we can ensure our household is a temple of God. And if we do this, we will know joy. We will grow stronger. These are the promises in this psalm. And if you find yourself in the valley of weeping, which you sometimes do in life, you will turn it into a place of springs. That's an amazing promise. Life will spring up everywhere you go. And even as you go through hard times, there can be life that springs up because God is with you. It also says that those pilgrims are always singing God's praise. 
Really simple one, but really profound. How much have you been singing God's praise throughout this year? How much have you sung out in your house and not cared about whether the neighbours can hear you? There is never a time, ever, where it's inappropriate to praise God. Ever. There is never a time when God is not worthy of praise. And in fact, he is always worthy of praise. And so we can always sing his praise. It's always an appropriate response to God, whatever is happening. You remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday, he said, look, if, if these people don't praise, the rocks will cry out. Well, to quote Ron Canoli, I ain't going to let no rock out praise me. Yeah, let's praise God and bring him praise all the time. And you know how to do that. Just go onto YouTube, find worship songs that, that speak of who he is and praise God and sing and lift your voice so that when we can come together, we can do it together again. There's nothing stopping you doing it now. Thirdly, it says that they draw strength from God. They draw all their strength from God. This is really important. Everything that we do can be done in the strength and power that God provides because that is the source of inexhaustible strength. And if we credit it from ourselves, we run out of strength like that. You know this to be true, guys. So let's draw from that amazing well of power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is at work in us. We can live in this power, whatever we've got to do. Power to get up in the morning, power to get dressed Power to go to work, power to face big challenges in life. We're about to get into a season, most likely, where we've got the potential for busyness and frantic activity to take over our lives again. No, let's not let it happen. Let's not get sucked back into frantic activity where God is absent. Let's draw all our strength from God. And finally, it says that they have set their mind on pilgrimage. We can be like those pilgrims headed for the presence of God. We can dwell in the presence of God, but we also know that we're headed for the eternal city, the eternal heavenly Jerusalem, where one day we will go, where one day we will see Jesus face to face, where one day we will be in his presence. And as it says here, the Lord God is a sun and a shield it says in Revelation, there won't even be any sun in the new heavens and the new earth because God himself will provide the light that we need and the warmth and the presence that we need. Wow, that's how awesome our God is in his unveiled presence. And that's our future. So we can be pilgrims. I want to say to you that Christian homesickness is a good thing. You can sometimes experience that aching, that longing inside. of, Oh, God, this world is hard. This world has got so much mess in here. And it's not just escapism to think about going to heaven and being with God. It's a biblical prayer to say, Lord Jesus, come, come, come and reveal yourself. Come and uh, let the earth be swallowed up in your final end time purposes. And let us see the glory of God across the entire of creation. Let's set our hearts on pilgrimage. And it's good to remember that's where we're headed because that sustains us as well in difficult times. So there's a lot there, guys. I hope that's been helpful. And I just want to finish in prayer by saying, Father God, thank you that your presence is beautiful. In your presence is fullness of joy. Your dwelling place is lovely.
Thank you that we get to go to the place where you are and that we get to meet with you right in our houses, in our rooms, in our secret places. You are there and you can come by your power. And I pray now that you would come to every single person that's watching this video. Make your presence known. Come and draw near. Come and show your love again. Come and melt hard hearts. And God, we just long to be a church that seeks after your presence and that prizes it very highly. Thank you for, for, for calling us your people. Amen.